how the FBI rapidly reviews 650,000 emails found on the computer of a top Hillary Clinton aide, and misinterpreting technical evidence that shows a link between two suspect parties. These stories and a preview of this week's ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in London coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. In the waning days of the U.S. presidential election, supporters of Republican nominee Donald Trump questioned how the FBI could review 650,000 emails in eight days. Less than two weeks ago, FBI Director James Comey, in a letter to Congress, said the FBI renewed its investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server. Specifically, the new inquiry was to see if any classified materials from Clinton could be found on a computer used by her longtime aide, Huma Abedin. But eight days later, this past Sunday, Comey issued another letter to Congress saying the FBI found no material on the Abedin computer that would result in criminal charges against Clinton. Comey's pronouncement raised the hackles of Trump supporters including the candidate's top military advisor, retired Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who tweeted, There are 691,200 seconds in eight days. Director Comey has thoroughly reviewed 650,000 emails in eight days? An email a second? Impossible. No, General, it's very possible. First off, not all of the 650,000 emails belong to Aberdeen. Remember, she shared the computer with her estranged husband, former Representative Anthony Weiner. He's under FBI investigation for sexing images of himself to an underaged girl. Also, Aberdeen had emails that were personal or exchanged with Clinton when the Democratic candidate was not Secretary of State. Most importantly, e-discovery tools likely used by the FBI could, in quick time, identify relevant emails. Rob Lee of the Sands Institute is one of the nation's leading digital forensics experts. I spoke with Lee days before Comey issued his latest letter. When you're scouring through multiple different email sets that you potentially have access to, they have the original email trove that they've collected from Larry Clinton. And on the second side, we have Anthony Weiner's laptop. Some email, unspecified exact number, how many is there. And they would do a deep process of uh, deduplication of the email. It's comparing the emails to see if it's the same email that they already have. And it's actually a fairly rapid process. They could probably do deduplication in, in hours, to be quite honest, even if they're like 35,000 up to 100,000 emails that they would have to do. And it's very automated. The tools usually do the heavy lifting for you at this point. After eliminating duplicates, the next step was to conduct keyword searches of terms that could identify classified information. That's a very rapid process. Automated tools does string searching extremely well. And it will do string searching not only across emails, but it will scour documents, Excel spreadsheets, PDFs, any of the attachments that have come across email. Once the automated tools identified unique emails, the review process was most likely conducted manually. And if the automated process eliminated nearly all of the emails on the computer, human review shouldn't take too long to complete. Jumping to conclusions based on technical evidence doesn't necessarily mean that something illicit is going on. ISMG's security and technology editor, Jeremy Kirk, looks into a report that links Donald Trump's campaign with a Russian bank. 
It's a story several media outlets were pursuing, but highly cautious about publishing. Was there secret communication between Donald Trump's camp and a Russian bank? In a presidential election where hacking for the first time ever has tremendously shaped the campaign, it was an alluring tip. The online publication Slate took the leap, writing a lengthy piece that detailed an odd discovery noticed by researchers with access to domain name system logs. DNS is the system that translates domain names into IP addresses and underpins all internet activity, from email to loading web pages. The researchers analyze what are known as passive DNS logs, which record DNS lookups by hosts on the internet. Passive DNS is extremely useful, and many security companies have large visibility into DNS. For example, researchers use it to figure out which servers malicious software programs are trying to reach, which can lend further clues to where stolen data may be stashed. Earlier this year, the Russian financial institution Alpha Bank began querying DNS hundreds of times for a host name registered to the Trump Organization. The pattern of DNS lookups suggested people within the organizations were communicating, like a digital hotline, Slate contends. Alpha Bank and the Trump campaign denied communicating. The FBI also looked into the situation, concluding the DNS lookups were likely related to email or marketing spam. Alpha Bank also hired forensics expert Mandiant, which came to the same conclusion. Experts widely panned the story, saying it relied too heavily on questionable technical details. The situation serves as a cautionary tale when interpreting highly technical data and casting it in support of an unsubstantiated theory. It's not an uncommon problem in publishing. A journalist whose determination to publish a scoop clouds an objective, critical view of the facts. The body of the story centers on establishing that these two servers communicated, which is indisputable, and we should believe that one, this is strange because many experts say so, and two, that means there's something else going on. But the something else is never justified with facts, leaving a gaping hole that attempts to be filled with endless background on U.S.-Russian cyber tension. For the reader, reaching the end of the piece is an unresolved, chin-stroking moment that obviously tilts towards impropriety by Trump's people. The story hedges heavily in the second-to-last paragraph, warning that the evidence is no smoking gun and there could be alternative explanations. But by then, it's too late. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The latest ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit kicks off on Wednesday in London. To preview the London Summit, I'm joined by my colleague, Tracy Kitten. Besides being editor of Bank Info Security, Tracy coordinated the content of the London event. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. This will be ISMG's 11th summit of the year. Two more will be held later in the year in Asia. What will be different about the London Summit than the others? Well, one thing that I think is interesting about this summit is uh, our keynote address. We're going to have a keynote from Detective Chief Inspector Jason Tan, who works with the Metropolitan Police Service in London. And he's going to walk us through a cybercrime investigation, a cybercrime takedown from beginning to end. This is an investigation that was a cross-border investigation that the Metropolitan Police was involved with. It started with phishing attacks against banking institutions, resulted in fraud, and then ultimately ended with the apprehension and arrest of some hackers that had links to Russia. There are two tracks at the Summit Fraud and Data Breach Prevention. Uh, Let's review some of the top sessions for each of them. Let's start with fraud. On the fraud track, we're going to have a number of issues that are addressed. We're going to talk about ransomware. We have a representative from the FFISAC in London who's going to be there to talk about some of the trends that banking institutions in the UK are seeing. We're going to look at behavioral analytics and how organizations can use analytics to help enhance authentication without really having to change the user experience. And another session they think is going to be of particular interest to the audience is one that's going to be hosted in the afternoon by a representative from Hacker House. Her name is Jennifer Akuri, and she's going to walk us through spear phishing attacks 
attacks and some of the tactics that are being used to socially engineer employees and consumers throughout the world. So I think that session is going to be very interesting. And on a data breach protection track? On the the breach track, we're going to have representation from many organizations. One representative who brings some unique perspective to London is Brian Engel, and he works with the retail ISAC here in the U.S., which is just starting to expand into Europe. He's going to bring some interesting perspective about how retail organizations are working with financial services in the U.S. and how they can do more to work together in Europe and even cross-border. What are the takeaways for attendees from this summit? Well, I think there'll be a number of things that we talk about every time we host a summit in a different part of the world. We try to focus that on what's taking place there. But something I think that's going to be interesting about this summit in London is that we will have some U.S. perspective. And what is going to be beneficial for the attendees at this summit in London is that things are changing in the U.K. as far as data breach notification is concerned and the fines that are being um, levied against organizations that are breached. If you look at what's taken place in the U.S. over the last three years, breach notification and breach response is something that's been at the forefront, and we really haven't seen that in the U.K. There have probably been a lot of entities that have been breached and just haven't had to report it or may not even really be aware that they've suffered an incident as severe as they may have, and so I think they can learn from some of the lessons that we have been taught here in the U.S., and I think having some of the speakers on the panels and on the sessions that we have here will really help to bring some of that to the forefront. Enjoy London. Thank you, Eric. Finally, from the slap him in the face to get their intention file, seven Indian embassies apparently have been breached. That, according to the media outlet, The Hacker News. The hackers, who identified themselves as teenage security researchers, reportedly pilfered personal information on Indian citizens living abroad, including their passport numbers and home addresses. ISMG's Varun Haran reports that he received an email from individuals identifying themselves as the two hackers. They claim they tried to alert the website administrators to the security holes, but on receiving no response, they opted to post some of the data to Pastebin to create awareness. That data has since been removed. However, a cached version could be found on Google. ISMG was unable to verify the authenticity of the data. The Director General of CERT India declined to comment on the hacking incidents, saying that this was a matter for the Ministry of External Affairs to investigate. Harren reached out to the ministry, which did not immediately respond. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.